Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty Father, in you, our God, we find the support we need to carry on in life. We gather the strength we need to endure the hardships life brings. Our own physical capabilities and our motivational drives may fail us many times, but you faithfully rescue us. You are the source of the strength we most need. Rid my heart of fear, knowing you are always with me. Clear my mind of troubling thoughts, knowing you are always at my side. You are the foundational rock and the strength of my heart. Thank you for your unfailing and unwavering commitment to your people. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we're continuing through the Gospels that we've been hearing for the last few days. Jesus has been giving the woes, and today we switch to, uh, or in Matthew 24, and Jesus begins by saying, stay awake, exclamation point, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So too, you also must be prepared for at an hour you do not expect the Son of Man will come. It's kind of an odd message he's giving to the people because he is the one he's talking about. You know, he's there with them currently. He's right with them, present physically. He can, they can see him. And he's talking about the day when the Lord will come back, when he will return. He's talking about himself coming back. It's, it's It must be a very strange um message to hear coming from his own mouth. If I were there, I'd be like, well, when is that? What day is that going to be? Of course, he's not going to tell them. He says, uh, you won't know the day or the hour, but to be on guard. So this, for us too, you know, for 99.99999% of humanity, we'll all die and have a particular judgment and then wait for the final judgment, uh, the mass judgment of of, of all peoples at all places and times at the end when Jesus returns. But there will be one generation that will be uh, alive when Jesus returns. And won't that be something? Because, you know, his first coming, his first time he came down to earth uh, as a baby in the womb of Mary was a rescue mission. He was sent by the Father in heaven to save us from the tyranny of, of sin, death, and Satan. And it was a successful mission. And it was his his death on the cross that brought this triumphant victory over the grave and won pardon for us and also reconciliation with the Father. And the promise of everlasting life and joy in his kingdom for those who desire it. And I don't just mean who want it, those who live a life worthy of heaven. And again, it's not about earning it. It's about loving Jesus and obeying him. It boils down to that. So if you look at, not just his word spoken while he walked the earth, the word, the complete word of God, which is Jesus, uh, before he became incarnate, that would include the commandments. 
So for those who are obedient to God and love him and out of love for him are obedient to him, uh, there will be a, an eternal reward. But today he gives us these parables to warn us to be ready. And the only reason he would have to give us a warning is because he knows our human nature. He knows our weakness. He knows our slothfulness. He knows our ability to fall asleep, <laughs> even in the most inopportune times. And he's telling us, be ready, stay awake. So what does he mean by this? Well, the background to Jesus' story, this parable, is uh, it's about the household, uh, the household, the head of the household and the thief that comes in the night. And when the Lord returns, he doesn't want to find us flirting with the enemy or worse, joining forces with his enemies, those who are opposed to God and his kingdom. So, you know, he always, he's also spoken about, you know, you can't have a foot in both kingdoms. You, you're either with Jesus or against him. You can't, you can't throttle the fence any longer, that those days are long gone. So basically what he's letting us know is, you know, we shouldn't at any iota allow Satan to rob us of our heavenly treasure. And that's kind of what this parable of the thief in the night teaches us about what's happening. So if you knew that there was a thief who was prowling about outside your home, looking for a way to get in. He's about to strike and threaten you and those who live in your home. Uh, you would be very cautious about sealing the doors and windows, not letting the thief in. Uh, you would be somebody who would be protecting the people of your home. And Jesus' parable of the thief in the night brings home the necessity for this watchfulness, being on guard to avert the danger of the thief getting in, of, of destruction and even murder. And this is all happening in the night, so that it's under the cover of darkness and secrecy. So he's painting a very bleak example for us to realize, you know, we have to be prepared at all times. Certainly the thief is not going to announce when he's coming, right? And uh, lack of vigilance would invite disaster for those who are unprepared to keep their treasure and their lives secure at all times. So this is the message today. And you must realize the devil, his number one goal is to rob you of the treasure the Lord wants to give you. And the greatest treasure God gives us is himself. And to be robbed of that treasure would mean that we would not spend eternity with him. That would be a terrible mistake for those who walk down that road. And it's it's alarming to me because the the largest and the fastest growing segment of religion, a religious population, is the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, those who have no religion, who don't want any religion, who want nothing to do with God. Oh, it's it's so frightening and and uh, scary and sad. That, that that's the fastest growing segment of the population. What you you know? I'm just going to pause and think about this for a second. You know, I don't know what people are being fed, but it's clearly a lie. Jesus did nothing wrong to anybody his entire life, his entire existence. He's never hurt one person. Uh, 
so how is it that people could have such an aversion to him? The one who actually rescued everybody. I, I can't imagine what people are believing that, that think, I don't want anything to do with that man. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, it's an oddity, I guess, of life, but they must be hearing something that's making them not want this. I mean, the simple, I, I can't imagine the simple fact is that they just enjoy sinning too much to give it up. But perhaps that's, that is the truth. I don't know. Um, there is a scripture that talks about uh, the d- man preferring the darkness. I think it's in John. Let me see if I can pull it up here. And this is the condemnation. It's John 3.19, right after John 3.16. Imagine that. That light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's just some people just prefer the evil deeds more than they prefer eternity. I, I can't imagine. Or they don't believe that eternity exists, or they don't believe that Jesus is serious when he tells us that we must be his his uh, his friends and his followers in order to gain eternal life. I just, I don't know. But this is the state of the world that we're living in. And it's getting harder and harder every day to be a Christian in this uh, arena called Earth. But, it, you know, he never promised it would be easy. He never did. He only promised that he'd be with us in it. He will be with us to the end of time. And he kind of says that to us, I would imagine, uh, when I think of him saying it, he's he's looking at us and smiling. And he's giving us a little wink. You know, his eyes are a dazzling, sparkling uh, life coming through those eyes, saying, nevertheless, I will be with you. Like, you have nothing to worry about. That's exactly what I expect he would say, and the, and the manner he would say it. He would say, it doesn't matter what they throw at you. I've already conquered the world. And nevertheless, I will be with you. That's, those are words to cling to. He will be with you. No matter what the world throws at us, today, tomorrow, or the next day, he will be with you. And that's, what a great gift and promise that is, that we would know that Jesus is with us, regardless of what we're going through. Such a tremendous gift. So, just to finish out about this parable, he then gives us uh, a second parable about a master and his two servants. The storyline is kind of the same. It's similar. There's an element of surprise. The master suddenly returns home uh, unexpectedly uh, from a journey. We don't know where. And he rewards the dutiful servant for his faithfulness to his master. Uh, and this servant performed his service with great care and, and uh, diligence and did everything the master required of him. But the other servant, the master punishes because he behaved wickedly. And that servant, it says, uh, was completely irresponsible. He was frequently absent from his work. He spent his master's money by throwing these endless parties. He uh, abused his fellow workers with physical force and violence, probably to make them do the work he wasn't doing. And the master not only throws him out of the house, he fires him from his job and he throws him into the worst possible place, a prison of no return, where there's nothing but torment and misery. Pretty bleak. (coughs) 
excuse me, for those who go against the Lord. Should we be surprised to see uh, the master acting with such swift judgment? I don't think so. You know, after all, he's just uh, giving back what they have given to him. The master rewards the faithful servant with honor and promotion and friendship, but he punishes the unfaithful servant who stole from him and used his position to uh, feather his own bed and to abuse others. So when we think about this in terms of our own life, you know, the Lord's entrusted each of us with his gifts and grace, uh, the grace to love God with faithfulness, with trust, with obedience, and the grace to love our neighbor as ourself. Are we doing it? Are we are we living out the command? We have to always be prepared for Jesus's homecoming. We have to be vigilant in watching for his return and ready to meet him when he calls us to himself. And you know, some one of the best ways we have to do that is to really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. Because it's through the Spirit that we have the wisdom, the strength, and the help that we need to turn away from sin and to embrace God's love and justice and holiness. It's all by the power of the Spirit. And when the Lord warns us of a judgment, uh, that should bring joy to those who are following Jesus, you know, because we want to be uh, placed in that uh, the side with the with the sheep, not not the goats. And like I said, I think I said yesterday, maybe it was the day before. You know, if you're afraid of dying, then you're not living you're not living life the way you should be. That would be an indicator that there's something wrong, that you're afraid of dying. Because if you're doing everything God has asked of you, and if you love Him, if you love God above everything else. Um, you have nothing to fear, you know? St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you will. And he didn't mean just do whatever you want, like have a field day. He meant if you truly love God, you will do always the right thing. So if you don't love God as the first position in your life, then you back up one step and say, Lord, I need the desire to love you above all else and increase my love for you every day. With every beat of my heart, increase my love for you. Everything is a gift. Just ask if you're feeling like your love is lacking. And he will give it to you because he wants you to have that more than you do. So it's always easy to pray for things we know God would want. Uh, and, and we know he'll give us uh, the thing we ask for when it's in line with his will as well. So this whole idea of the thief in the night, the thief in the night. Well, <clears throat> But it did bring us to that question about why do men prefer darkness rather than light? Some, I'm not one of them. I hate the night. Um, as soon as the sun sets, it kind of, uh, not lo- that long after sunset, I do make my way to bed because I get up at 4.20 a.m. So I try to get to bed by 9.30-ish at least. And uh, in the summer here, it's it's light out to almost 9 o'clock. So it's... It's not long after sun's set in the summer that I'm off to get some rest. Uh, but according to the scriptures, darkness is used as a spiritual term as well as literally. It's uh, a figure of speech to mean ignorance, evil, generally speaking, error, 
and light symbolizes knowledge or understanding, truth and righteousness. So it's a twofold meaning when we speak about light and darkness in the Gospels. <clears throat> now, in the world we live in, which, by the way, it is an evil world. People take offense at that. I say Jesus himself said it's run by Satan. So how could it not be evil? <clears throat> the way of light and the way of darkness are the two opposing forces that are uh, at war in the cosmos. And the light belongs to the Lord, God Almighty, and it's identified with truth and righteousness, but the, the darkness is that kingdom of Satan, the devil, and its marks are uh, falsehood, lies, and wickedness. He comes to still, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy comes to do. So the good are called the children of light, and the wicked are known as the children of darkness. King Solomon himself, the wisest uh, of all men, said, The way of the wicked is as darkness they know not at what they stumble. The fact that men are born in sin and the devil takes advantage of our frailty and our weaknesses uh, is a problem. But it's not a problem that can't be overcome by God's grace and his very presence in our life. You know, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit if you've been baptized. So you have God dwelling within you. You just have to keep constantly turning to him for help and assistance and guidance and uh, especially discernment. Discernment, discernment, discernment. That's something that very few people ask for anymore. It's a gift. We have to be calling on it. <clears throat> Now, what are some of the markings of uh, people who would be, I don't want to call them children of the devil, but children, the children of the darkness? Well, there's <clears throat> those who are practicing witchcraft or sorcery or magic, those who uh, are committing murder, uh, those who are indulging in um, stealing, lying, bribery, all these evils that St. Paul lists, and they're filled with malice, envy, hatred, and all of the seven capital sins. And we even see them on TV. You know, we, we see these characteristics played out in TV and movies because, uh, I don't know, let's, it just seems to be, maybe that's what people want to see. I don't know. That's what's being made anyway. But I do find that when there's a, a, a very beautiful uh, endearing program or movie uh, that's, you know, that I get to see occasionally. They're usually on the Hallmark Channel or something like that. And I'm not talking about the sappy ones, but occasionally there'll be a very good uh, movie about sacrificial love and uh, the triumph of the human spirit. People that really do love those kinds of stories as well, but there's not a lot of them. There's not a lot of them. I don't know if it's just people are unwilling to produce them or maybe Hollywood doesn't want to, to air them. I don't know. Um, but recently I was speaking with an actress and she's also a producer. I wasn't speaking with her. I was texting with her or emailing with her. And she did say, you know, Hollywood is a, is a hard place to work and live, especially as a Christian. But, but she, she has a soft spot in her heart for the people that she's known there. So let, let us never forget the people are all God's children 
even when they're collaborating to bring forth evil. And I'm not saying all of Hollywood's doing that, but certainly there's a there's a darkness over Hollywood and the, the movies coming out of there, at least the stuff I'm seeing, uh, which I don't even watch. But you can see what's being produced and you can see things that are coming out. And it's um, it seems to be heavy-handed in the darkness. I don't know for sure, but that's what it seems like. So anyway... Uh, when we look to the gospel, this is God's word. This is truth. It's brought by Jesus Christ and it gives, it gives us knowledge and understanding. The more we are in the gospel, the more we will see the reality of life around us. I think people who know nothing or don't want anything to do with God or his word are really the ones who are walking completely in darkness. They have not a clue what's happening. They are basically adoring sin because their consciousness has been crushed and cut off completely from God's pipeline of grace. And you have to pity these people and you have to, we have to pray for all people, those who are in the light because they're probably being persecuted and those in the darkness because there's, they have no idea uh, who they're making deals with, but by continual life in the kingdom of, of Satan. Now, the gospel carries with it a spiritual force that makes those who are in spiritual darkness or are blind uh, to regain their sight and to be delivered from the devil's bondage if they turn to the light, if they turn to the gospel. You know, Jesus himself said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That's from John 8, 31 through 32 and 36. So Jesus is truth personified. He's the incarnate truth, and he is the light. He called himself that from his own mouth. He said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is what we want for all peoples, you know, that they would all come into the light and see the reality of what is good and what is bad. And that seems to be one of the biggest problems today. We don't seem, many people don't seem to know what real goodness is and what real evil is. They just are mudding the two together and it, it's an oddity of the times we live in. I would say like none other, like none other have we ever seen an embracing of things that are not true or real as reality. It's just the strangest thing ever. You know, this from the very basics, the most basic things that you could pronounce to be true, such as there's only two genders. There's male and female. Male and female, he made them. That's it. But then this is actually being challenged by whole segments of the population that think that's not true anymore. It's just uh, outrageous when you think about it. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many other things that are being real truths that are being challenged as being no longer true. And so it is a very difficult time to uh, move through these waters uh, with grace and not be you know, completely rattled and uh, or drawn into despair for that matter because it is a time of uh, 
such upheaval of what is really actually true that it can put people into both anger and despair. And I've seen a lot of that uh, from good people who are just so confused by what's happening out there in the world. Now, in Ephesians, St. Paul admonished the believers at Ephesus. He said, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. He also had a, <laughs> he spoke to the Romans. It seems Paul was on a, uh, on a tirade with all the communities he founded he said to the Romans, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, nor in cham chambering and wantonness, nor in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So you can deduce from reading these things that just because he founded these communities and set them up and got them going, they clearly had setbacks where they would drift back into the spirit of the world and start behaving like the pagans, which from which they were. I mean, these were converts. Um, so uh, it's, it's a constant battle to choose that which is good and uh, true and holy. And it's a decision you have to make every single day when you get up in the morning. You ask, you thank the Lord for a new day. You ask for him to guide you through the day. You give him permission to use you in any way he desires. And then you step out, acknowledge your guardian angel and the Holy Spirit within you, and just take the next right step and praise God for his goodness, no matter what comes your way, because he's working things through you to bring about the greatest good he can. And when we operate in that mode, that whatever is happening to me, God's using it to bring about a greater good, your whole life will change. You'll be looking through everything with rose-colored glasses and all will seem uh, very pertinent and valuable, no matter what you're going through. And wouldn't that be a great grace? That's it for today. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan signing off. Thank <laughs> you.